Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of a modern monocle. Stopping the copyright police from pulling the wool on us. Facing and taking on all the plate to pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinize and do their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. Uh, this whole COVID-19 pandemic has certainly raised a whole bunch of questions um, and also, frankly, reframed uh, a bunch of historical debates that we've been having for a long time. For example, I've been somewhat amazed to watch some people who have been um, screaming and complaining about the dangers of privacy violations on the Internet and via telephones during the normal times, suddenly now demanding that tech companies hand over location information for things like contact tracing. Uh, we're living in very strange times, and there are a whole bunch of legitimate questions to be asked about whether or not a pandemic should change how we view things like privacy, uh, but also what will it mean going forward, uh, assuming, of course, that we ever uh, move forward and get past this pandemic. Uh, today, my guest on the podcast is Esther Dyson, uh, who hopefully shouldn't need an introduction for anyone listening to this, but uh, just in case you're unaware, uh, for years she's been deeply involved in a variety of innovative industries as a reporter, analyst, investor, and more. Uh, she's always been, in my opinion at least, uh, one of the most thoughtful voices out there regarding the process and impact of innovation, uh, as well as the intersection of innovation and civil liberties. And in recent years, uh, she's been spending more time working on issues related to aviation and spaceflight and health. Uh, and so she is, in uh, my opinion, the perfect guest to have on today to talk about the uh, various ethical quandaries raised by the pandemic. Uh, however, I will also note that she is a former chairperson of ICANN, which is the Internet Corporation for Assigned Names and Numbers, uh, which is the organization that we discussed in our last podcast with Mike Godwin uh, in regards to its role in stopping the sale of the .org domain. Uh, so before we get into the discussion on the pandemic, Esther wanted to take a few minutes to respond to some of Godwin's comments from that podcast, uh, and then we'll move on to pandemic talk. So uh, Esther, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, yeah, I will start very briefly responding to Mike, but not. I'm not trying to create an argument or sling sure. letter or anything. It's it's more. So I was chairman of ICANN. I was the founding chairman. There's a long history. And fundamentally, ICANN was created so that there would not be governments or private industry in charge of the Internet. It was sort of a, an impossible aspiration. But the idea was that ICANN should be controlled and work for the broad population of the Internet, including the users that it had at the time and its future users and so forth and so on. And in a sense, the, the goal was to fill a vacuum, not with a central power, but with almost nothing. Right. Other than process and, you know, there are arguments about how much 
regulatory authority, blah, blah, blah. But in the end, we wanted to ensure that there was a transparent, clean market for these domain names, et cetera, et cetera. And the, the thing that offended me so much, and I'm speaking for myself, I'm not speaking for Secor or for you know, the ICANN that used to be or anything else, but just the, the basic idea is .org and the PIR, the Public Inter Interest Registry, was a nonprofit organization. It wasn't owned by anybody. And right. therefore, it couldn't be sold by anybody. And so the, the, the notion of turning it into an asset from something that was you know, fundamentally a public trust offended me and a whole lot of other people. And that, that was the big thing. It wasn't about the legal niceties of was it the California Attorney General or you know, right. all that other stuff. It's just it would have been the wrong thing to do. And that's. That's yeah. the fundamental thing, and we can move on from here. But I just wanted yeah. to. No, that, that that's that's fine, and I think that's that's a good point, and it is something that I had wondered about, and I I had meant to look into it, and I never really had a chance. Was you know how often, if ever, does that actually happen, where you have a nonprofit that is sold to a for-profit operation? Um, and, it happens a lot, oddly enough, in healthcare, because huh. you have these not-for-profit hospitals that usually have the word mercy. Right. <laughs> or Trinity or something in them. And then they get sold to a for-profit chain. And what usually happens is that there is, in fact, some kind of a not-for-profit trust or, or foundation or something created with the money. But it's certainly that money, you know. Right. It's it's just. Yes. <laughs> it's It's. And people sometimes have a little problem with that, too. I mean, this was simply that the fact that it was sitting at ISOC didn't mean that ISOC had the right to the one point whatever billion. Right. Uh, so. Yeah. Okay. Um, great. Well, well I'm, I'm glad we were able to, to let you explain that. And, and I agree with you. I'm, I <laughs> think, think that that is correct. Um, but so let's, let's use that and, and move on to, um, to, to a more interesting discussion, hopefully, um, about, about the pandemic and sort of all of the ethical quandaries and questions, um, that were raised by it. And the, the most obvious one, and the one that I mentioned in the intro is around this idea of contact tracing and, um, sort of what are the privacy implications associated right. with it? So I'll start again with one preamble, which is if you think privacy is an absolute, <laughs> then you can get into all kinds of arguments over so many different things. If you think privacy and control of data, because it's much harder to guarantee privacy than to, you know, like, what is it? I feel my privacy is invaded if you look at me funny, but mm -hmm. control of data is something where you can be more specific about what it is and what it isn't. And on the yeah. other hand, transparency, the yes. more power you have, the more, the less privacy you should have. And in, in a sense, one can talk about, well, I have the power to give you a disease and therefore my right to, come up and talk in your face is limited in, in the world of coronavirus. Anyway, that's, that's just sort of the preamble. Sure. And it gets very meta. But let's start with 
contact tracing and what is now called exposure notification because they're one is a long practiced activity and for anybody who's interested partners in health in Boston Paul Farmer who is now working there used to work in Africa and you know they would do what is what contact tracing is in Africa with Ebola and dengue mm-hmm. fever and all kinds of things exposure notification is a relatively new tech based it's a different form of it in mm-hmm. some ways they're similar in some ways not so just to go back very briefly to contact tracing it's for whatever reason someone shows up and they're sick so and they're infectious so you ask them well gee we we don't want other people to get sick from you and we also want to find out how you got sick so maybe we can make sure that the person who got you sick doesn't get other people sick and will you tell us who you've talked to and who you've been close to and and it's it's fairly privacy invasive it's done by people and if it's done well which is what Paul Farmer calls expert mercy which is a phrase i love it basically starts out like mrs jones i understand you're sick and i'm here to help you i'm here to help you get care i'm here to help you deal with the fact that your children don't have it yet and you want care for them I, you know, first first you have to show sympathy and empathy for the person and then you need to say and of course i'm sure you don't want to get other people sick and that's why i'm going to ask you all these invasive questions blah 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 and it's if done well it is it's not just expert mercy it's it's actually care it's not simply you're a sick person i'm going to extract right. information from you you're a sick person i'm going to help you and i'm going to help your community and it's a very you know ideally it's done by people in your community who know you and know the other people and it's right you know obviously that's changed when you're talking about a large anonymous city like new york and people doing it over the phone and so forth and so on but the if we could do it that way if we had the capacity it would obviously be ideal and you know there's there is the problem people don't remember where they were they don't know who they sat next to on the bus blah 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 but if if i had to pick between one and the other done well i'd i'd pick the contact tracing right uh, and so the the contact tracing and the exposure notification i think often get lumped together right and precisely. so a lot of people are calling exposure notification which are things like mainly what most people are talking about these days is the the api that was apple, put out google. by app, yeah. apple and google to allow others to build apps that will notify you in some way um if you were near someone who has right been considered uh positive for for a certain amount of time um but but as you're noting those are very different things right yes and so let's let's just leave contact tracing cuz it's it's not tech i mean the one thing i'd like to say about it is contact tracing in a sense i would love to see the government spend millions and millions of dollars training people to be good contact tracers right because that skill is going to be so useful in so many ways in the future it is 
the business of care. And as a country, we've underinvested in childcare, we've underinvested in healthcare, we've underinvested in teaching, we've underinvested in mental health coaching, we've underinvested in paying people a decent wage to take care of other people and help both the caregiver and the care receiver be happier, more purposeful people. And so that money spent training these people is an investment. It's not spending. It's it's not just relief. It's actually an investment yeah. in our future and, and society. It's it's an interesting way to to think of it that I think a lot of people maybe don't in in that the idea of of contact tracing, you know, is a form of healthcare. Um, and yes. and and should be an important part of the infrastructure that we have for healthcare. Right, and it's 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 community health, not mm-hmm. just individual health. And I think a lot of people are beginning to realize maybe the U.S. has focused a little too much on the rights of the individual over the the needs of the community and and the the long-term needs of society as a whole, rather than my need right now to go to the beach or mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is. Anyway, contact tracing, again, you can do this many ways. You can, you can just look at all a person's GPS and find out which restaurants they went to. And I mean, this is the stuff, honestly, that Google in particular and Foursquare and everybody else has been doing all along. Where were right. you? Uh, we showed you an ad for a red sweater, and you know now we see you bought a red sweater at this store or that store, and we can do advertising attribution. I mean, in a sense, so much of the advertising business is attribution. What was it that made this person buy the red sweater? And you could also call this disease attribution. What was it that made this person come down with coronavirus? Hmm. And rather than how can we get him to give someone else coronavirus, which is what you're trying to do in the ad business, it's how can we stop them from giving someone else coronavirus? But it's 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 very much the same kind of tracing and tracking by following a person's movements, what they look at online. I mean you could you could also and people have been doing this on a on a broad scale, you know, what is it people are searching for? Are they searching for loss of smell? Oh mm. that person that's one of the warning signs of coronavirus. So all kinds of information is useful. The one that this exposure detection is now focusing on, and exposure detection and notification, excuse me, is was I within six feet of somebody? And here, here we get to the problem of, before we even think about the privacy questions, is this thing going to work? Right. They've tried it in Singapore, and I think, Someone should check the numbers, but it's you know it's a disappointing below fifty percent even in Singapore, which is a very orderly place, that are actually using it. Right. Uh, so one is, will people use it? And two is, will they be forced to use it to go to work, to go to the grocery, to you know go to the clinic and go to the place where people without COVID nineteen go? Um, so one is simply will the users use it. Second, if I get a notification that I'm sick, but I don't feel sick, am I going to change my behavior or think, well, you know, I know I was within six feet of my friend two days ago, but 
we were both wearing masks. Or it was just what the hell? I'd like to know if <laughs> Right. I mean it's again, we're very even even the nicer ones among us, I mean, and it there's a huge variety, but there's a lot of people who sort of feel their their rights outweigh someone else's privileges or rights or, or whatever. Um, the, I mean, my personal experience with Bluetooth is it drives me crazy and it never quite <laughs> works. So I wouldn't trust it for a minute, to be honest. Just Right. I mean, I probably would need to get a new phone because I have a very old iPhone. But <laughs> the, and, these and, are the issues. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, and there are some other examples. I think it was was Iceland uh, experimented with a system that didn't seem to have much much impact. You know, but one of the responses to that, and, and I'd love to hear how you reply to this, yeah. is, you know, people will say, well, yes, it's not going to cover everybody and it is not the solution, but it is something that adds to you know, to, to the overall impact. And, and if it is helpful in alerting some people early, isn't that part of it worth it? It probably is, but I mean, here's the thing. Fortunately, I don't need to decide this question. My, <laughs> my prediction is that it really won't work very well because there's so mm -hmm. many, I mean, how many release 1.0 products actually are great? <laughs> and, you know, maybe we'll get to release 2.0. But there, there's all these just sort of the practical questions of, I think you're going to get so many alerts. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you go to the grocery store, there's probably someone there who's sick. I mean, maybe you stand next to them in line, you're wearing a mask. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you need one or two of those a day and it just again we don't know enough but it really seems to spread more from fairly close contact right and the, the stories you read are always they have an explanation there were people in church singing their not just their hearts but their right, <laughs> their right. spit out there were people in a store or in a restaurant you know it's it's and you, you know, as an individual, you probably know that. Yeah. I mean, I know I was in a store and I waited in line for an hour, or I know I was sitting with this bunch of people I don't know very well. Um, there's the whole, well, I may be sick, but I'm not going to react to it. I'm going to keep going out. I'll wear my mask. I'll be good. You know, so who knows? But the the chances of lots of false positives and also enough false negatives that it's, it's right. just not a very reliable indicator. I mean, it's certainly. So here's the real challenge to me. This is beyond the privacy thing. There's an awful lot of cynicism and distrust of the authorities and confusion. And one more widely promoted set of apps that don't really work very well is, is not mm. going to help restore people's faith in the system. And to some extent, that's what's really lacking now. Yeah. I mean, the, the Russians or, you know, all the people who are trolling the elections, they really don't care who wins. 
they want us not to trust the people in power. Right. Yeah. And this is just one more kind of eh, half-assed cynicism <laughs> producing reaction. Whereas somebody who's worked with a good contact tracer is going to feel that they're cared for. Right. Uh, whether we actually are going to train enough people well enough to, to reach that point where people do feel cared for, that's, you know, that's a different question. Yeah. But um, that is to me the, go ahead. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. And I see that. Um, and I think, I think there's a point there and I think also like, um, you know, if people are getting a lot of false positives, then, you know, you start to ignore it. Just like, you know, all the cookie warnings on, on web pages or whatever, you just yes. sort of click through and, and ignore. But, but to, to, to push back a little bit on that or to, to dig deeper and kind of explore this issue, um, you know, there is an argument that, you know, a lot of what leads to great innovations are those first attempts that aren't so great and that are, you know, yes. minimum viable products. And yeah, they're not great. And yeah, they have problems. And, and yes, it may make people trust the system less at the outset, but the learnings from that and the ability to iterate and to build on that can potentially lead to something that is much more powerful and is, you know, really useful. Um, and yeah, so do you have, why... go ahead. Which is why I'm not saying we shouldn't do it. I mean, mm -hmm. I, and I'm not advocating for a point of view. I'm really just here raising the questions. Yeah, and, and, so and I think it's important to, to raise those questions. Yeah, and I think you you raised a really good one. I mean, this one might not work. The next time some disease comes around, we may understand much better how how it gets transmitted. Um, yeah, you know, and then we get to the immunity passport question but in the middle yeah i mean clearly it could get better and i mean one thing i'm curious about so clearly most people and i agree with them i don't want a central data repository right i don't you know i want this to be anonymized i want it to be lightweight i want it to end when it's over uh you know, one question I have is, is it designed, and Apple and Google will probably tell you that's in the app, it's it's not part of our protocol. But if, if I get the notification within two hours, I'm going to say, oh, it must be because I was sitting next to Mary, because that's the only person I've sat next to in the last day, and I wasn't on the bus or in the grocery. Mary must be sick. Hmm. And... Is that a feature or a bug that I know <laughs> if I do get sick, it was Mary. Right. And, you know, I mean, it, in the end, I kind of think it's probably a feature because that's what I would tell the contact tracer. Yeah. I was going to say that's, that doesn't seem all that different, uh, if at all, than, no. than how contact right. tracing would work. But right? then Mary's privacy has been invaded already. I mean, I personally think if Mary got me sick, you know, first someone should take care of Mary and, and <laughs> give her care and not, not take care of her the other way. Uh, but so a lot of these things are still unclear. Yeah. And, you know, this, the, the reality is you can't, people who get other people sick are 
not liked by the people they infected. That's it's it's sort of a reality. Right. And the the most compelling public health argument for wearing your mask, blah blah blah, is don't be the one that gets the other person sick. Get your flu shot because you don't want your family to get sick because of you. Right. So, you know, all these questions are unanswered. And then the big ones are what would, what would really solve this, obviously, is being able to test everybody every day. Yeah. And you know, the moment you know you're sick, one, you go get care, but two, you isolate yourself. And three, obviously, is so is society going to pay for me to isolate myself? I have to take care of my children. I, I'm the only breadwinner in the family. I'm going to go to work even though I'm sick because I need to buy food for my kids. We, we need a much better system for supporting the people who are sick because otherwise they will resist it right. to the very end. And there are a lot of poor people. I mean, I'm, I'm a rich white lady who lives in New York. If, if I get sick, I'm going to order stuff on Amazon and I'll probably be fine. There are a lot of poor people who are both physically much more vulnerable to the disease and financially much more vulnerable to the impacts of the disease on their ability to work and, and make money and survive. And so what we're really seeing is a huge, rather than technical debt, we have, if you like, human body debt. Mm. We have this huge, you know, a third of the country is obese. The number of people with diabetes and prediabetes is, I don't know, on the order of 20%. People with hypertension, people with all kinds of pre-existing conditions, people with mental health problems, people with substance abuse problems are all much more vulnerable both physically and economically and mentally to stuff like this. And now, you know, the notion that we're all in the same boat is is not true. Some of us are in much nicer boats. But that we're all sailing on the same sea and that the people in the other boats are continually crashing into our boats <laughs> is absolutely true. And so to some extent, we're, we're dealing with a situation that's far worse than it should have been because there's so many people without the resources to stay alive if anything like this happens to them. Yeah. And so then you get into the question of can employers, the, the, the ethical question is can employers ask whether you are sick? Right. Whether they do it through contact tracing or through giving you a test or Another method that really is extremely unreliable, which is taking your temperature or asking to see your contact tracing passport or your QR code is, you know, in theory, that would be fine if they would pay for you to be taken care of and give you your salary and take care of your kids. But you know, to, to deny you employment because you might have been exposed to somebody because of a kind of not very effective app is 
is going to create much worse unemployment. It's going to create financial problems and it's going to be disparately it's its impact is going to be again much much worse on poor people and yeah people of color and so forth yeah and you just can't ignore that yeah and and just to clarify in case people haven't been following this as closely i mean there are discussions about things you know we sort of referred to it obliquely a few times as as immunity passports and this is the idea that you know if you uh, can show that you, you know, either are immune and, and, you know, in one case, you know, having antibodies uh, saying effectively that you had the, the disease and are unlikely to be, um, uh, you know, contagious at this point. Um, which we don't know yet whether that which, is in fact going to be the case. Right, right. Which is still somewhat of an open question, though, though the recent studies have suggested it is highly likely, but there are questions yeah. also about how long that lasts for. Right. Um, or, you know, how recently you've taken a test um, that shows up negative, which, of course, then gets into questions of how reliable are the tests um, and are they giving false negatives? Um, and, and who's paying for them. And and who's paying for them. And all of the the other questions that you raised as well about sort of the, the safety net infrastructure aspect of all of this. What does it mean? You know, if you are the sole breadwinner and you need to earn money to survive, uh, and a uh, positive COVID test means that you cannot work and cannot get paid, uh, you have many, many incentives to hide the fact that you are COVID positive. Um, and that is, you know, can create all sorts of additional damage. Um, right. And, and so, so all of these things are interconnected, I think, is, is part of the point that you're making. Um, and that there is sort of a larger societal question rather than one that is dealt with through you know, just contact tracing or just a notification app or, or something along those lines. Precisely. And it, it, you know, it's like you don't want to not do stuff just because you can't do it for everybody. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the people for whom it is done need to help fund whatever is necessary for the people who are harmed by it in a way that you are not right and you know it's and again we we have a situation where billions and trillions of dollars are being handed out but they don't seem to be going into the right hands a lot of the time yeah and so so what you know if you could wave a magic wand and and change that what what would yeah. what would be the first thing that you would do uh well, it depends how powerful this magic wand is. <laughs> you know, if I could roll back history and create yes. a society where where mothers were cared for when they were pregnant and children were yeah put into well, child care rather than child storage, and the education system worked, and people yeah. Well, let's let, let's assume let's assume. Unfortunately, we cannot do that, but we yeah. are stuck in the present. Um, uh, but going forward. I mean, seriously, I would, I would go very hard on the contact tracing plus care, mm -hmm. the the expert mercy, and because that will have a long term benefit. You know, it's it's not just a short term palliative measure. It's training people for the jobs of the future. It's 
paying people now to be trained and then to do mm-hmm. the contact tracing work so that you're not giving the money to sit at home and feel worthless, but you're paying the money to feel purposeful and do something useful and learn a trade and so forth. Um, I would, I would figure out how to solve the childcare problem because that's, especially for poor parents, that is such a big part of the problem with, I mean, it's not just feeding your kids. It's if they can't go to school, how can you, how can you work? Uh, I mean, just, And again, that's a job where you, you know, you can't, you can't provide childcare for a four-year-old remotely. Right. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, and I'd be happy to have people be tested to work with four-year-olds. Right. But if they can't work with four-year-olds, then they should be getting the online training to be a contact tracer or maybe a job working online contact tracing and but give give people do do the right thing but also for people where the right thing is going to take away their livelihood and the ability to care for their children short term provide alternatives to them don't just leave them hanging out to dry right so you know again i i take a lot of the billion to to help the poor people who don't have other options yeah and you know companies i mean it's it's easy to find scandals and there are a lot of them but there are a lot of companies that do have reserves there are big hospital chains that have huge reserves that are getting you know yes they're losing hundreds of millions of dollars but they have endowments of billions of dollars Right. And there, there's simply, again, the, the aid is being, it shouldn't be given to people who have the resources. It should be given to people who don't have the resources. And the reason they don't have the resources is not because they were necessarily stupid and feckless or lazy. It's because they grew up in circumstances where they never were able to get a decent job because they couldn't get a decent education. You know, it's, it's, I don't want to preach, but you know, it's becoming <laughs> much more visible that yeah. there are a lot of people who are poor and it's not their fault. And yeah. now they are being dramatically, I mean, this is life-threatening for them in a way that it's not for a lot of other people. And we need as a society to, we invest in physical infrastructure, we need to invest in human infrastructure. Right. So that's what I would do. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty vague. It's not about the spec for the contact no, tracing course. app or anything, but that's where I think we need to focus as, as a society. Yeah. And I think that, I think that's important. I think it's important to take that view. I think, uh, you know, a lot of people, and, and this is especially true of sort of, you know, Silicon Valley focus, um, you know, where we look for, yeah, you know, what is it that we can sort of build right now? Um, and oftentimes we'll take less of a look at, you know, how do we fix a larger element of, of society that has let us down that, that, you know, I think a lot of what the pandemic has done is certainly exposed, 
um, you know, large holes within how, within the fabric of society, um, and, and rethinking those and how do we fix those, uh, is a really big question that isn't, isn't necessarily well suited for just jump in and, and build something quick. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, fundamentally it's not a technology problem. Sure. Um, I mean, my day job is working with Wellville, which is basically a 10 year project to help do some of this investment in human infrastructure in five small communities. So I've, I've learned a lot, including it ain't easy. It's, it's not a question sure. of pouring money in. It is a question of training people and giving them agency and taking advantage of your local contact tracers and training local people rather than sending them from Washington. Right. God forbid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I, I mean, it's, it's interesting to, to talk about and it's interesting to think about because I think, you know, as, as we've said, you know, it, the, there's a lot of the societal element that's being exposed here. Um, and, and figuring out a way to, you know, as much as possible, prevent us from having to go through this kind of situation again, I think would be valuable. And, and I'm not clear that there's, that there are enough people actually working on that. Um, and I think the more you investigate the, the various ethical issues, when you look narrowly at the different pieces, whether it's the contact tracing and the privacy or the, the notification or immunity passports, all of it kind of lead back to this, that they're all in some way interconnected. Uh, and, and being able to take a, a, a high-level view of this and figure out how the pieces fit together and, and how do we, you know, uh, construct a society that, that – that can handle these kinds of situations um, is, you know, that's, that's a, that's a big challenging, uh, you know, civilization level yeah. issue to work on. Well, I'd like to, I'd like to just bring in one metaphor and sure. then it may be time, but so the, the thing I learned the most about in Wellville is fundamentally addiction. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this started back in 2014, and I was sort of aware of opioids and so forth. But and people were calling Facebook addictive. And I thought, yeah, that's a very clever metaphor. The more I learned about everything, the more I realized addiction, you can become physically dependent on a drug. Mm -hmm. And as you know, as as a species, we're physically dependent on sex to reproduce. Mm -hmm. But there's a point at which, you know, and we're, we're physically dependent on food to survive, but addiction is when you also become emotionally dependent on it. And a couple of things happen. You, you start wanting this thing without, needing this thing it, it sort of consumes you and you want it more and more having it doesn't really give you joy mm. you kind of look forward to having it or doing it but there's never you never reach satisfaction you just have to keep doing it again and again and so you lose both your ability to enjoy other things 
you know, whether you're focused on the drug or the Facebook likes or uh, the exponential growth of not profits from a company, but turning companies into assets again and selling them and doing again, doing again. I want another exit. I want another exit. Uh, and in a sense, we've become this society of addictions. And the addict thinks very short term. They're just looking for the next fix. So they, they lose both the perspective of all the things they could be doing. They lose their sense of time and agency because they don't see a future where anything changes. They just see, I need my next day's worth of whatever it is. Right. And in our communities, also the nonprofits, the small ones, are they're addicted to grants. <laughs> You know, they, they, they're not trying to build a long-term solution to the problem. They're trying yeah. to just get enough grants so that we can run a program for unwed mothers or you know, the food bank. But they're, they're not building something that's actually going to solve the problem and go upstream. So they neither look back at what caused the problem, nor do they really look forward to a solution. They just look forward to a remediation. And, you know... All of Facebook's problems are this addiction to, again, exponential growth that their investors want and the stockholders want. And, mm-hmm. you know, and it starts being just sort of a metabolic process. I need food. But then it becomes this kind of obsession, which is the heart of addiction. Mm-hmm. And it's something that is so prevalent everywhere I look. And it. It starts with childhoods of insecurity. It starts in the stock market and trading in three-second increments, and everything becomes short-term. And we need to become a society that both looks across all of the population and that looks forward towards the future and starts investing instead of just spending. Yeah. Well, that is... Uh, a, a very good summary and a good line to end this on because <laughs> uh, that I think I think that's a really good point and it's one very much worth thinking about and, and I appreciate the way that you framed it there well thank you it's been five years of discovery <laughs> and I have five years left to show some real results in All right. local communities well good I, I, I best of luck on that and I, I hope you can um and uh so thank you again and and thanks to everyone for for listening and um you know we're still uh getting back on our pace for the podcast here so i don't know uh if we're quite at the weekly stage yet but we'll have more podcasts soon uh but thanks to everyone for listening and we will be back soon Stand up to them, someone will get hurt. So grab a shovel and dig up the